Good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. That will be, well, one verse of that psalm will do be Psalm 119, verse 105. That will be our text uh, for this morning. If you're visiting with us, then um, we're, th- we're so thankful that you're here. And you have found us in the middle of our summer series. We are spending the summer and we're making our way through the Psalms. Uh, And we, again, don't have the opportunity to go through all of the Psalms together, but we do have the opportunity to, together as a community of faith, to read through the Psalms together. And so I want to remind you that you can still join us. Uh, We have a a reading list for you. You can pick one of these up in the lobby, or if you want to be like me and I have it texted to me every morning, even even this morning, as our service began, I received at 9 o'clock a text to remind me uh, to read the Psalm for the day. So I want to... uh, Again, put that in front of you for your encouragement as we make our way through uh, the Psalms this summer. This morning, I want to look at just one verse of a really lengthy psalm. And the reason for that is uh, I've been asking, what does, it mean, what does it mean to follow God? And you say, well, that's a simplistic question, isn't it? Well, sort of. Isn't it a remedial question? Yeah, it, ish. What does it mean as individuals for us to follow God, to follow Christ? What does it mean for us as a church to follow God and to follow in a world of Hillary and Donald and Britain leaving the European Union and the Cleveland Cavaliers as your NBA champions? What is going on, right? I mean, what in the world is going on? How can we follow Jesus in this culture, in this environment? What does it mean for us? In my mind, I kept coming back to this one simple verse. And what I want to do is I want to talk about this verse, and then I want to also talk about how we want to apply this, how how this is foundational for us as a church. I want to talk to you at the latter half of the balance of our time after we look at this verse together at where God is leading us, where God has been, how God has impressed uh, the next season for us as a church and our vision and our three-year plan. I want to talk through that a little bit as we find ourselves now on the tail end of this fiscal budget year. um, Where are we going? What does this look like for us as a church to follow God? First, um, let's look here at Psalm 119, 119.105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Your word. He begins with, the psalmist writes, and he begins in this particular, this particular verse with your word, the word of the Lord. Why is the word of God important? Why is that important? Of, of primary importance, it's because that's how we know about God. The, the word of the Lord is significant. We begin there because that's how we learn about God, about who he is. How else could God, who is spirit, be known by us unless God has chosen to reveal himself and he's chosen to reveal himself in his word? Scripture is God speaking his truth in human words. That's the word. It is in the Bible that we are able to learn about God. 
If God had not chosen to reveal himself, then we would have had no ability to know who he is. And therefore, we look into the Bible and we believe the Bible. And the primary reason we go to the Bible is in order that we might be able to learn about God. I don't know when you go to the scriptures why you go. But the first and primary thing for the Christian when we go to the Bible is in order that we might be able to understand God. What do we believe about the Word of God? Can I just give you a few things, a few thoughts? This will probably be not, not be new to many of you, but important reminder for all of us that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Unlike any other book, it is a book that is written by both God and man, but it was not co-authored. It, is, it was not God and human collaborating. It wasn't humans writing a draft that God somehow edited. It is not... God giving human ideas to humans to put into words. The Bible is not human writings that somehow became divine when people realized that there was somehow meaning in them. The Bible is not many books that, one of many books that can contain spiritual insight. No. The Bible was written by people who were providentially prepared by God. They were motivated and superintended by his Holy Spirit, who spoke and wrote according to their own personalities and circumstances in such a way that their words were the very word of God. God's supernatural guidance of his writers or of the writers and their situations enabled them to receive and to communicate all that God would have us know for his glory and for our salvation. It is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. The Bible, we believe, is the inspired word of God. The Bible, we believe, is without error. We believe that all that the Bible teaches us is truth from God. The affirmation of the truth of the Bible is tied to the very character of God. God is truth. God is a God who does not lie. And so therefore, because this is his word, it is without error because of his very character, because it's tied to who God is, and he is the author of his word. The Bible is the inspired word of God. The Bible is without error. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is God speaking. That is why we believe that the Bible is the highest authority which by which all lesser authorities ought to be judged. It is the authoritative word of God. Practically speaking, this means that the lesser authorities, the lesser courts of reason and tradition and culture all come under the greater authority, which is the word of God. Or to put it another way, it is the word of God through which we look at all of the other things, all of the things that are happening in the world that are around us. It is through the lens of scripture because the scriptures are our highest authority. Thanks. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It is without error. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. The Bible is sufficient. God knew that putting together 
of the putting together of the Bible, he knew all of the needs of humanity throughout all of the centuries. So here we are in the 21st century, far removed when, from the, the original writing of the Bible, and yet still this Bible speaks to our hearts in our day, in our moment, and in our age. Why? Because of the one who authored the words. It is because of who God is. And that is why his word is always relevant. We don't have to make the word of God relevant. It is relevant. Because why? Because it is God who authored the word. Why we come to the word. And it is all that we need to know about him and salvation and reconciliation. And the Bible is ultimately a book about Jesus. Jesus was the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and Jesus Christ came. The living word. The word. It's a book about Jesus. And so this verse begins with your word. Your word. The psalmist writes, your word, your the word of the Lord, the authoritative, the, the sufficient, the, the word on which we can rest, the word which is our foundation. And if you, it's only when we are able to come and see the, the authority of the word of God that we will actually build our lives around it. It is only when we come to see the authority of the Bible that we will defer to it. It is only when we understand that it is the ultimate truth and ultimate guide for our lives because God has spoken to us through it that we will actually obey it and do what the Bible says. Otherwise, we will be on the whims of our feelings. Otherwise, we will make decisions and we will base our lives based on the ups and downs and the the ins and outs of the culture that is around us that is very real and very present unless we have a conviction about the scriptures and the word. The psalmist here says, your word. Your word what? Your word is a lamp, has become a lamp to his feet. Your word, the authoritative, sufficient word of God, has become a lamp to his feet. A lamp illuminates, he says, illuminates what's around, right? And he says, the lamp he has, he has in mind, he has this picture of a lamp that is illuminating, and he says, illuminates his feet, right? Now, I'm not a foot person. If you're a podiatrist, good. I hope you're a foot person. I'm not a foot, foot person because feet are gross. Um, I think they're just a little bit funky. Uh, and I don't give a lot of thought to my feet. My sister does. She's had two foot surgeries. She has to think about her feet all the time. I don't, I, except for summertime. It's summertime now, and so you wear flip-flops, and uh, you see your feet, and, and others see your feet. And so the other day, I was looking. I was wearing my flip-flops. I just happened to be, and I had this really weird thought, and I saw my feet, and I saw my toenails, and I said, whoa, you've really let those go. Um, you, really, you really need to do something about that. My wife suggested that I do a pedicure, um, yeah, I laughed too. And then she goes, no, seriously. Um, and I thought, ah, that's too much too soon. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I could. And I, I think my greatest fear is that she would take a picture of it and post it to Facebook. I think that was my greatest fear. It's like, I don't know how to recover from that. Um, so no pedicures yet. <laughs> you said, he, I didn't expect him to talk about feet. I, I didn't anticipate that. Why? Well, because I think there's something in this about the fact that the Word of God, it is in the Word of God that we find out who God it is, but it is also in the Word of God that we find out who we are. 
who we are. That the Bible, when we look and come to the Word of God, we come to the Word of God and see who God is primarily, and then we find out who we are in relation to this God of the Bible. It reveals who we are. It is when we are prepared to accept the authority of the Bible that then the Bible, we begin to see who we really are and what our lives are like. And we are able to come to the table and be able to say that we are sinners, that it was our sin that actually took, that took Jesus to the cross. Because in the culture, in the world around us, there's people that may have made mistakes, but there are people who say, I have no need for forgiveness. I don't need to come to a table such as this. Why would I need to do something like that? I've made a few mistakes, but after all, I'm a really good person. That's not what the Bible says. Well, why do we go to the Bible to find out that we're sinners in need of a Savior? The reason is because it is the authoritative Word of God. It has become the authority of our lives, and we now have submitted ourselves to the authority of God's Word, and we recognize ourselves to be sinners in need of a Savior, that there is is one way to be saved and it is Jesus Christ. And so we come to the table and it has deep significance and richness and meaning for our lives, does it not? Because why? Because we've submitted ourselves to the authority of the word of God. And then when we go to the word of God, it is a mirror that the spirit of God uses to reveal our hearts, to reveal our actions, to reveal our attitudes, to reveal our lives before him. There's a little song Little, I think it's a children's song. That is a, it's a prayer. Make the book live to me, O Lord. Make the book live to me. Show me myself within your word. Show me myself and show me my Savior and make the book live to me. That God would make his word, make his word live to us. That he would show, that he would reveal ourselves and then he would reveal again his Savior in order that, that, that his word may be living and active in our lives. In the, when we come to the word of God, we come and we see God. We come to the word of God when we see ourselves. And he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible reveals who God is. The Bible reveals who we are. The Bible reveals how we should live. He leads our path forward. When we come to our Bibles, it's not, it's, we come to our Bibles in order to see God, in order to see ourselves, and then we, uh, we, we come to our Bibles with our Bibles in one hand and our newspapers in the other, if, as it were, or, 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 or your tablet or with, with, with whatever the current events are, right? And we come to our word with the rea- in the realities, in full view of the realities in the world in which we live in, and we use the Bible to help us interpret the very things that we see going on in our hearts and in the culture that are around us. That's the, that's the way in which God leads us. And so we come, and we must allow the scriptures to be the filter through which we live our lives. So we ask ourselves these questions, the different things of how, who we ought to marry or what college we ought to go to or how we ought to be able to raise our children or, or, or should you take that new job or who should I vote for in the upcoming election. And all of these things need to be, all of these decisions all need to be seen through the grid of the word of God and the principles that come out of the scriptures. He is the one who lights our path. He, and then by his spirit will lead us onward into making decisions, into moving ahead and moving forward. He is 
It is in the word that we see him and we see ourselves, and then it is him leading us forward as we continue to process the, the events that have come before us on our TV screens and in our newspapers through the lens of the word of God. Everything first needs to come. We need to hear what's happening and then apply the scriptures to where we are. Apply the scriptures to how we process the information. And then he leads us forward. There's much to be said about that. Our time, we don't have time for all of it. I wish we did. But we seek God in his leading for us individually in each of our lives. But we also seek God in his leading for us as a community, as a church together. Saying, God, what is, how is it that you, as we have come to your word, as we continue to understand who you are and who we are as a church, how are you leading us forward? And I want to take the balance of our time to really talk through some of those things. So that you can be aware of where we are. If you were with us at our annual meeting, then some of this will be review for you. But this is important for us to talk about, I think. Our, the vision for our church, the, the vision that God has laid on the hearts of the elders for our church is this. That we, <clears throat> we desire to maximize our gifts, talents, and resources to multiply committed followers of Jesus Christ in Maple Grove, the surrounding communities, and throughout the world. In short, we desire to maximize and multiply committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to maximize all that we are in order that we might be able to multiply followers of Jesus Christ. This is the vision statement that we use to be able to help us think through, now, now what? How do we actually want to apply this to the strategy of being able to do ministry, of leading us forward as a church? And there are five tenets that I would like to share with you of our three-year plan. This is what we want to talk about. We want to say, this is what we'd like to see God do over the next three years. As we've been thinking and praying as an elder team. This is what we want to be thinking about. There's five tenets to our, our three-year strategic plan. The first is this. It's disciple-making. It's disciple-making. This comes straight out of Matthew 28. This is what the church ought to be about. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples. What is the church to be about? It is about, we are, we exist in order that we might be able to make disciples. And so uh, we've been thinking about this and saying the purpose of the church is to make disciples. That's what we want to do. We want to individually continue to keep growing in our faith and knowledge. And we need to help other people grow in their faith and knowledge to meet Jesus and grow in relationship with Jesus. That's what we are to do. We are to be disciple makers. You say, well, aren't we already doing that? Yes. In pockets, it's happened in our church. In, in various times over the course of the existence of our church, we have made disciples. Many of you are a product of that. But what we, so what are we actually talking about here? Well, disciple making, I would suggest to you, making the idea of, of disciple making is in every church somewhere. There's a disciple making impulse that's in every church. Because why? Well, because it's in the scriptures. That's what we're supposed to be about. An analogy that I like to use is this. We are very familiar with smartphones these days, right? So I think this, making a disciple is like an app on the phone of the church. It's one of the many things that the church does. It makes a bunch of disciples, and it's sort of an app that we, every, we hit every once in a while and use for a bit. 
And what, what we're suggesting to you is what we'd like to do is to say, no, what we want, instead of, instead of making disciples being an app on our church, we'd rather it be the operating system, the very way in which the thing functions. So when people say, what is your church about? You say, well, our church is about making disciples. This is the language that we use. This is what we're talking about. This is how we're doing it. And it forms the very culture of who we are. We are our desire is not to say it's not it's insufficient for us just to have disciple making as one of the things that we do. No, it needs to be about what we are doing. This is how we do church. We make disciples. That's what we do. And so that's the work that we've been giving ourselves to, defining discipleship for us as a church then working towards having a clear pathway that we can be able to guide you in and that you can guide other people in as they walk with you and you walk with them on becoming a disciple and following after Jesus together. We, we want this to be a part of the very fabric of, of who we are. And so this is the work that we've set, our, <clears throat> we've set before ourselves and the work that we're doing. A clear, simple pathway for you to follow and for you to walk others through. We want to be about making disciples and disciple-making. A second initiative that we want to be about is church planting. Again, as a part of the end of this this passage, he says, um, when Matthew writes, or Jesus actually says, Matthew records, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. For someone to be baptized is a public profession of allegiance to Jesus and to his church and being connected into a body of believers. I'm with these folks. I'm with these people. They're a part. We aren't meant to do this Christian life on our own. And we want to be about church planting. We want to be able to say we want to. If, if making disciples is to maximize who we are in our faith and to multiply disciple makings on an individual or a personal level, then church planting is to maximize the gifts and talents and resources that we have as a church and to be able to multiply as a church. So we want to maximize and multiply on a personal level and we want to maximize and multiply on a church level so that we can be planting churches. Some of you say, well, aren't there enough churches already out there? I mean, aren't churches, I mean, the churches are, you go right down over here, there's there's three churches and there's only four corners, right? There's a corner on, isn't there enough? Ed Stetzer, a missiologist, gives five reasons to plant churches. I'll go through these briefly. First, church plants reach lost people. There's a better chance of someone who's never been to church before going to a church plant than there is them coming into our church. Most of the growth we have is transfer growth from other churches. Church people that know how church stuff runs. Because we do stuff like um, communion. Not that church plants wouldn't. But they approach it differently, and, and there's an opportunity for people to jump in more quickly when a church, at, a, at a new start, a new work. So church plants reach lost people. Church planting, second, follows a biblical pattern. There's no verse in the Bible where you say, thou shalt plant a church, right? It's just not there. It's not going to be there. But it is the pattern. It is the pattern of New Testament. When the disciples, when the apostles, what's the first thing? They get the commission, and what do they do? They go plant churches, Read the book of Acts. It's a church planting movement. It's what happens. It's a biblical pattern. Thirdly, church planting is essential for survival. If we, as those who are part of the evangelical free church, want to see our denomination continue to grow, then we need to continue to plant churches that are a part of our denomination. If we want to be a part of a movement, then you have to, there has to be new life continuing to happen if you want to survive. 
Fourthly is this, church planting benefits the planting church. There's a guy by the name of Jeff Farmer who did his PhD work, and he took 75 churches that are planting churches and 75 churches that are not planting churches, and he studied them, and they were all a variety of different sizes of church, a whole variety of different things. And then at the end of the day, what he, what he found out was that the, those churches that were plant, those 75 churches that were planting churches were far healthier churches than those who weren't. Because healthy, when you're healthy, you reproduce. Healthy things reproduce. So we too want to be healthy and we want to reproduce. And finally, church planting is necessary if we want to reach North America. If we're going to reach America for the gospel, then it will take thousands upon thousands of churches in order to get it done. Just take, just, let's just take Maple Grove, for instance. There's 68,000 people in Maple Grove. If every church in, a, in Maple if there, it would take... 68 churches of 1,000 people in order to reach Maple Grove. There's 22 churches in Maple Grove. Right? So you just think about it. You just go, look, if we're going to reach even just our community and every church had 1,000 people in it, which it doesn't, which they don't, right? We, we need to be starting new works. We need to be starting these things. And if we're going to be serious about reaching, and the, the average Protestant church in America, according to Barna Research, has 89 adults in it. We need to be planting churches if we're going to get serious about reaching the country in which we live in. It's a big country. We need lots of churches. We want to be about making disciples. We want to be about planting churches. In order to help make that happen, in order for us to be uh, most effective at it, then there's three other things that we want to, that are a part of our three-year plan, initiatives that we want to go after. One happens to be, the first of those three is a name change. We'd like to change the name of our church because uh, Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church has a tendency to be a bit cumbersome. It can be a little bit confusing to people who don't know what evangelical means. They don't know what free means. They think evangelical is conservative. They think free is liberal, and then you're just thoroughly confused. But primarily, if we're serious about multiplying and having a movement of church planting, then we need to be able to have a name that actually helps us be able to achieve that mission. We like being a part of the Evangelical Free Church. We will continue to be a part of the Evangelical Free Church. There's two free churches even within our areas, the Free Church in Zimmerman and Brooklyn Park E-Free, who have just taken on new names. Zimmerman is now Refuge. Uh, Brooklyn Park E-Free is now Revive. Our goal would, would be to between now and January of 2017, we would like to have a new name by then. We would like to roll out a new name by January 2017. In the meantime, we are, we've developed a, we're in the process of developing a criteria through which we will be able to know, learn how to decide that name. And so we are developing that. We're going to make that available to you on our website so that you will have the opportunity to submit names. Um, and you'll be able to know why um, Hokey Pokey Church isn't going to make the cut, right? We're just trying to help. But it's important if we want to drive our... If we want to drive forward, we need to be thinking about the success of the mission that God has called us to do. These are little things that are a part of it. A third thing that we're working on is our bylaw, is reviewing our bylaws. I know this is not something most of you give a whole lot of time to, but we have had a group of folks who have been very diligent about giving their time and talents and energy to the review of our bylaws over the course of time. And we are deeply indebted and grateful to those people who have done those, who have taken their time in order to be a part of that. It's so important and so significant. But our bylaws were not written with, with church planting or, or multi-site or, or multiplication in mind. 
So we would like to view, we would like to have a review of those bylaws with that in mind. We also would like to have a document that if we plant churches, that we, that can be a document that they wouldn't have to recreate the wheel, but we'd be a document that they can have, actually help use them and get them started on, a, on the right foot. We also uh, want to do this because, it, I don't know if you've been aware, but over the course of the last decade, we've had some pretty significant cultural changes and society, societal changes that we want to make sure that we as a church are, are well cared for as it relates to legal issues. And so what we've chosen to do is to be able to take our current bylaws with some suggestions from our elder team, and we've hired a, a, an organization called the Church Law Group to really, they, all they do is do church law. And we've asked them to do a review of our bylaws. They will make a recommendation to our elder team, at which point our elder team in January of 2017 will make a recommendation to you of whatever the review of those bylaws would be, and then we will, uh, at, at the annual meeting of 2017, then we will ask you to ratify and to adopt those new bylaws. And finally is this. We need to be good stewards of the building in which God has entrusted to us, and in order to do that, we would like to make some renovations to our existing facility. Uh, that would help us better continue to make disciples. But we need uh, to be, there's just some, some wear and tear. There's some maintenance things that need to be addressed. And here, uh, here's a list of just in, in alphabetical order, some of the things that we want to take care of that we would like to go at. And the, I, I won't take time to go through these. We'd be happy to talk through them in detail with you. But at this particular point, I'd just like to talk about how we're, ch- we're going to approach these different uh, initiatives over the course of the next three years. And what we're planning to do is what we've already done is we've already got together with an architect. We've got together with Rick Kendall, who's the head of our building team, and started to look through the, this list to be able to say what's an accurate <coughs> assessment of what, what would be the right way to do it, what would be the order to do it, what's a realistic cost in order for us to be able to achieve some of these different things. Um, because we, we're poised to be able to get some of these things done um, as soon as we possibly can. We want to get moving on these things, these initiatives as a church, to, to renovate and to be good stewards of the, of, the, of the facility that God has given to us. These are the five things that we're seeking to pursue as a church together. These are the things that God has laid on the heart of our elder team. These are the things that God has called us to be as a church. It is on the foundation of the word of God that we we have said, it is because in your word we've realized who you are and who we are and where we are as a church and we are asking that you, God, will help us to go do something to be effective for the kingdom of God. Because otherwise, why are we here? Why do we do this? I'm not interested in every Sunday coming up here so that we can just look at each other and sing some songs and go home to our happy lives. What I'm interested in is having an impact for the kingdom of God. That is what I'm interested in. And I'm asking for you to pray for it. I'm asking for you to give to it. I'm asking for you to join with us, to be a part of this community that is for Maple Grove, that is for the communities around the Twin Cities, and it is for the world, for the glory of God. This is what we want to be about. This is why we're here, all rooted on the foundation of God's word, and if with God's help, he will continue to guide our path. All understanding that in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, in the hearts of humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. And we lay all these things before our heavenly father. And we say, God, if it be your will, will you help us to follow you in obedience? Because church planting is risky, because it takes time and talent and people and energy. 
because making disciples can be uncomfortable because it causes you to change the way you do stuff in your life. And yet for the cause of Jesus, may God guide us. This is where we are praying and we invite you to pray with us on this journey. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for the privilege of being on this journey, knowing that you are at the helm. Father, we believe that these are the things that you have led us to for the course of the next three years. And yet, Father, if there, has been, if there is, needs to be a course correction or a change, we, we ask that you will show that to us. But to the degree that we have heard your, your voice clearly, that this is the path that you are driving us towards, Father, will you confirm that and affirm that? I thank you for the people who are present. I thank you for the people who call this church their church home. I thank you that you have met with our people in this place and through this community. And I pray that more and more and more will be the case. We love you and we commit all of our ways to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.